Welcome back to Soul Practice, Raw Conversations, Real Practices. I'm Phyllis Mathis. And I'm Kathy Escobar. And I say it every time. Right now, we love playing with friends. <laughs> it's one of our favorite things um, because we learn so much from each other. And there's just something about the gratitude that we both feel just individually. We know different people. And then together, we know people. And uh, there's a lot of wisdom in our circle. And I feel so thankful today to have my friend Lisa Pettit with us. And Lisa and I met in the Denver Multi-Faith Leadership Forum um, that I've been going to, goodness, it's over 10 years now, crazy. And our friend Suzanne Molnar, who is the director of Beirut and Beyond and works with Palestinian refugees is the one that introduced me to that group. And so I feel so thankful. I came as her guest and Suzanne's been on soul practice as in a long, long time friend of Phyllis's. And this is what I love, all the little connections. And so Lisa and I intersected there and um, she comes from the Buddhist tradition, not originally. We're going to hear a little bit more about her story. And honestly, every time I'm with Lisa, I feel so grateful for the um, groundedness and peacemaking that she brings just by her presence. And I was honored to get to go to Alabama on a civil rights learning trip with our group. We were roommates. And um, what she brought to that trip was priceless because so much of the anti-racism work, we need to be in our bodies and we need to be grounded in order to do it. So it is an honor to be here today. Um, Lisa is um, part of the Compassionate Dharma Cloud Monastery in Morrison, Colorado, and um, she has PhD in developmental psychology, and she's a follower and leader, and I, you'll, you'll have to explain a little bit more what that looks like related to Thich Nhat Hanh. And so we're going to learn a lot today, and so I'm just going to toss it over to you, Lisa, and would just love to hear more, like, how how did you get on this path? How did you find your way to where you are today as just a start? Because um, the long story usually has a lot of twists and turns. And we just love to hear how from Catholic to Buddhist. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up um, in the Catholic Church. Um, and my parents have always been very faith driven, but also very open minded as Catholics. Uh, my um, one of my central stories of myself is that um, I remember coming home from church one day and asking my mom something about the homily that the priest had given. And she said, well, you can think about it that way or you could think about it this way. And that openness to um, interpretation of spiritual teachings, I think, was really important for me as a foundation. So I had a very actually positive Catholic upbringing and um ended up going to the College of St. Benedict in St. Joseph, Minnesota for college. And uh, there uh, I was going to church sometimes to daily mass. I was, um, I was, I started with a pastoral ministry major along with psychology and um, was a student campus minister my sophomore year. And that was kind of where my connection with Catholicism started to break down actually, which was interesting. We had an amazing group. I was in college in the eight, late eighties and uh, there were a couple women in our, on our 
14 who came out as lesbians. And so that was a big thing back then uh, in the ladies. And we were led that year by a lay woman. And there were a number of older students, seniors and juniors who were helping me kind of see into or question the church and some of its practices. Uh, St. Ben's is an all women's campus. St. John's is an all men's campus down the road. And there's uh, so a, a monastery of sisters at St. Ben's and a monastery of male monks and priests at St. John's. And St. Ben's women, the women, the, the nuns, do all the things they need to do during the week. Everything. <laughs> Take care of all their needs. And except for that one hour on Sunday mm. where they cannot give... They cannot celebrate their mass, um, uh, you know, without a male coming over to be a priest and to lead that. And I, um, another early story of mine <laughs> that my mom tells is when she took me, I was about five years old, she took me to a children's mass across town. It was a Christmas mass. And she was very excited to hear what I thought of it on the way home. And what she recalls me saying is that, why do men get to be all the good things like Jesus and Santa Claus? So <laughs> there's a little bit of feminist awakening that has happened for me, especially at St. Ben's and through, through the church and in some ways and through these women who are like, this doesn't add up, this doesn't make sense. I also, that year we had, a student from St. John's who was part of the St. Ben student campus ministry. And he arranged to have um, the, one of the men who was, uh, who lived through the Cambodian genocide um, and the killing fields and then was in the movie. Mm. Uh, he died years ago in the States. He came and spoke our campus. So there was a very big social justice component too that uh, that I think plays a role in where I've come to today. So somehow I found or was given uh, the book, The Miracle of Mindfulness by Thich Nhat Hanh. That was my first exposure to him. And it was right after college. So I was kind of moving away from Catholicism. I had some really excellent books, uh, class on called the Jewish or the Christian rediscovery of Judaism that really emphasized how important it is for us, for, for those who identify as Christians to honor and support Jewish folks, because if God lets go of that command, that covenant with the Jewish people, why would he maintain or she or whoever maintain that with a second covenant? So, so honoring these, both these covenants. So I, I came to a great appreciation um, of Judaism and uh, its place and teachings. Um, also a foundational book I read was the, uh, How the Kingdom of God Became Christianity, which was a, a, by, is by a philosopher who looks at Jesus' message and breaks it down uh, and says that Jesus' message was a lot easier no, simpler, simpler than what the church teaches, but it's much harder than what the church has made it to be. Mm. So all of those things. And then I find Thich Nhat Hanh's Miracle of Mindfulness. 
And in that book, there's a section early on that just talks about washing the dishes to wash the dishes and how when we are present to washing the dishes instead of thinking ahead to our tea mm. and wanting to enjoy our tea after that, we are more likely then to be with our tea when we, when we have it. If we're not, if we're thinking about our tea as we wash the dishes, when we get to the tea, we're probably thinking about the next thing and never truly present for the only moment in which we are alive, which is this moment and this one and this one. So that was my introduction to, to um, Buddhism was through that book. I did, I did also dabble in mystic teachings during college, um, took a couple, a class or two on that stuff, which I think also, you know, the cloud of unknowing and books like that, that really kind of break, break through some of uh, the dogma and the, that selfness too, that, you know, that goes beyond self. So uh, I, I think the next, well, the next big thing was finding uh, St. Paul's United Methodist Church that was led by Tony Cook at the time. And she started bringing, uh, she brought Sister Mary Luke Tobin, who was a nun who went to, went on a boat to Vatican II without an invitation and showed up, uh, <laughs> Sister of Loretto. So that kind of gives you an, a little bit of her nature. And then Jose Cabazon, who is a former Buddhist monk in the Tibetan tradition and actually translated for the Dalai Lama. He's a professor out in California now of Buddhism. And so the three of them came together to offer an interfaith service. And that was like a next step. So that was, I graduated in 89, probably read Thich Nhat Hanh in 1990, um, 1995, I think or so they started this this coming together this interfaith coming together and that was perfect for me for a while and our kids would come down there and and uh, as we were having children and so it wasn't then until 2003 um, i was pregnant with our third child and i had so there was I I found out that Thich Nhat Hanh was coming to Colorado for a retreat at Estes Park, White Camp, and Pema Chodron was coming as well. So the great um, Tibetan teacher, Tibetan, uh, she's from the U.S., but um, in the Tibetan tradition as well. And so I was like pulled toward, do I go to the woman who's this leader or do I go to Thich Nhat Hanh, who I have like this, I loved how his teachings were so direct, so every day, so to what is our daily life. And it ended up that I had a dream that the way I, I interpreted it was that I was to go to see Thich Nhat Hanh and go to that retreat. So I did, I was about eight months pregnant. And uh, so some of the practices were a little harder to do like the touching the earth and I might talk about later, uh, <laughs> but um, it was a magical time. It was also right around the time of 
the U.S. invasion into Iraq. Mm. And so being there and seeing a headline here, there, like I think just on the newspaper being sold outside the white at the white camp and seeing all these people walking around the white camp with these smiles and peace filled things. And I was like, what are you guys doing? Like, don't you know how hard this world is? Like, how can we be just smiling away when there's this kind of thing going on? And, and I think what has been foundational for me in terms of what Thich Nhat Hanh represents and what his teachings have grown out of is through the Vietnamese experience of the, of the war in Vietnam. And knowing that was what kind of like, if, if these people who have gone through that depth of suffering yeah. can have these teachings and practices that can transform that into peace and joy and connectedness, then, then there's something there. And so stay with it, be, be open, see what, see what you can figure out. Wow. What a journey. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that was my kind of beginning. Um, again, I was, you know, I had my, our son about a month later and so I was parenting, you know, a th did a, a zero, two and four year old at that point, right? And it was hard to get to Sangha. And that is one of the core teachings of Thich Nhat Hanh that I think that it, it's how it's overlapped. So one of the things as I, Dave and I, Dave, my husband and I were married in the Catholic church. It was kind of like my uh, swan song and I sort of, uh, we really shaped that, that um, mass, our, our wedding mass, or I feel like I especially shaped it in ways that I wanted it to be. And then that, then at that point, it was like, this place is not feeding me. This is not where I get nourished. Um, but my mom would call me up because I was out in, at DU for graduate school and she'd be like, do you have like, you found a community, a faith community, you know, and eventually we did find St. Paul's. Uh, but then it was really interesting to go to that, those retreats with Thich Nhat Hanh and he was coming every other year to the state, to Colorado. So I was going every other year, um, to, to those retreats and his emphasis of community was, is super strong. Mm. Uh, Sangha, he talks about, I think, too, that he, the next Buddha will be Sangha. So that the community will be like the next teacher. We won't have like a single person. And he really spent so much of his life helping create Sangha in his Plum Village monastery and then across across the world in many monasteries and and really worked to help people learn how to live together in community. I'm not familiar with that term sangha. Can you just for all of us ignorance as as people out there? So um the the in Buddhism there are three jewels 
the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. The Buddha is our teacher, any awakened being. The Dharma is the teaching itself. And then the Sangha is the community of practitioners. Oh, so okay. that's what the Sangha is. So mm -hmm. again, community. And, and again, Thich Nhat Hanh was so beautiful in how he was, how broadly he thought about everything. So Sangha might be trees that I walk by um, my morning walk. It, it doesn't need to be limited. Of course, in terms of a practice, it's especially supportive to have other humans who are, who are practicing with us and learning the teachings and trying to bring those into our daily lives, because then we can have that support of one another, but it doesn't, it's not limited to that. Thank you. Yeah. So oh, go ahead, Phyllis. Oh, no, I was just going to ask you, Kathy, what's on your mind? What what, what do we need to hear? Or, Gosh, oh. I mean, there's so much. I mean, already I feel like clarity on what those three jewels are. And then I heard this thing about the next, the next Buddha being community, like that somehow that's the the wisdom that's going to emerge this collective wisdom. And so, um, yeah, that just really strikes me. And I just wonder just a little bit after, um, you know, learning, um, directly in the flesh, not through a book, but in practice, um, Thich Nhat Hanh, like help us with a few of the things that are kind of core to, um, his teachings, because I know for us, we did this peace walk at the refuge and it was just like peace in every step. And it was this, I, and I, someone brought it to our spiritual formation Sunday and I was like, oh my gosh, I, this is so beautiful. And, um, I kind of had it floating around out here, but I didn't have it anchored in him properly. And so I would just love to hear just a few of the core things and then what that's kind of meant to you in your, in your story, like how it's helped you kind of be who you are today. And, um, and some with this social action part, because this is a huge piece of this activism, you know, like everyone trying to change things, but not being anchored in something deeper and more grounded. Thank you. I don't pretend, even though I've been studying and learning and had those kinds of interactions, I don't pretend to be uh, an expert on Thai, and as we call him, Thai is teacher in Vietnamese. I don't pretend to be an expert on his teaching, so I will share what comes up in, in this moment. Uh, sangha, sangha and community are clearly a um, have been for me, uh, stood out as a core teaching of his. I think, and, and then, and then I definitely want to get into engaged Buddhism because that is, is part of who he is that he brought, you know, he met with Martin Luther King and Martin Luther King nominated him for the Nobel Peace Prize. And they saw themselves as brothers in this work of beloved community, creating beloved community of, uh, you know, the, the book loved, Thich Nhat Hanh's book, Love and Action is a collection of his writings around the, around the war in Vietnam and, and other, other wars. 
and how important it is for us to hear from veterans who know the truth of war from and and then to 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 build peace treaties within ourselves within our families he sees how how all of our war starts within us right so that that question you talked about like with regard to peace like how do we how do we what is our peace work it all starts inside of us if we're not at peace with our own muck our own shit our own um mud we can't become you know, the lotus lowest co- coexist with it and i just heard pema children also talk by her where she was she was saying the energy of our doubt and our depression is the same energy as our enlightenment mm-hmm. so that that leaving behind dualism of um excuse me of right and wrong of good and bad uh, we still we still strive like there's there is that everyday use of those terms but then we have to realize that all of that inter, is inter are and so Thich Han's other foundational teaching is about interbeing and not just that we are all interdependent but that we that when i look at you i am looking at myself when i when we are when you are suffering i am suffering there we cannot separate ourselves from the well-being of the planet we can't say you know oh um yeah my water's fine you know we we're seeing how microplastics are landing in the water of the mountains in Colorado, right? Like it's every, we enter our, and, and, and if we can see how those parts of ourselves that are difficult to look at and the parts of ourselves that we love to shine are the same, are related, cannot be separated. He, he also, um, does a wonderful part in one of his talks where he will say the left can't exist without the right and so if we have a stick and we say we're going to cut off the right we're going to get rid of the right guess what when we cut it off there's still a right right like it doesn't matter it it we we can't have you what is good without bad what 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 is that we without those those two concepts they can't one can't exist without the other so so interbeing sangha the importance of sangha and community and then another beautiful thing that thai has done is created teachings that go beyond what if, if you're literal like I am, what you can get stuck in. So one of the core teachings in Buddhism is the five paramitas. And it's, oh no, that's the six paramitas, but it's the, um, I'm not going to remember the, the word, I just don't. But there, there are five um, core teachings about, about our ethics. And so it's like, don't kill, don't lie, don't... Um, don't steal uh, and don't drink and use 
use drugs, right? So what does what does Thich Nhat Hanh do? He he says in the teaching around not killing, he says, aware of the suffering caused by the destruction of life, I am committed to cultivating compassion and learning ways to protect the lives of people, animals, plants, and minerals. So it it becomes this like richer, fuller protection of life. Um, the second mindfulness training about stealing turns into generosity. So so I I embrace generosity by sharing my time, energy, and material resources with those who are in need. So it it takes these kind of foundational ethics and then brings it into community, brings it into like what I do do, not just what I don't do. So, so many rich, so many rich teachings. Uh, I I would go to the monastery on our Tuesday night class, which is for English speaking folks. And, and uh, I would be in the midst of parenting these young children and be like, oh yes, again. Yeah, I knew that. Why did I forget that during the week when I was with them? And yeah, so so the teachings are so applicable. They are so about creating peace in ourselves so that our peace movements are peaceful and not full of anger. Uh, they are about finding union within ourselves and then within our families and how the true test of our practice is often with our families, right? Because that's where we yeah. let go, it's where we're safest to. And so if we can't create peace in our families, how do we think we can do that at larger levels among nations? And uh, yeah, I think. And I will say too, um, the woman who led the Paris climate talks found Thich Nhat Hanh in the midst of a very difficult time and found his teachings and had and wrought those teachings and her practice into those climate talks. Mm, wow. And yeah, I think that was foundational in what was accomplished there. Well, one of the things that's most curious for me are are kind of how I'm trying to relate to what I'm learning about Buddhism is that I have this, you know, long history in evangelicalism where um, in a sense, Buddhism was like an alternative religious system that was false. And so like all these misconceptions about, about Buddhists worshiping the Buddha and uh about the religious practices being you know whatever a system and there you know there's quite a system of teachings and and that kind of thing but it's like some of what i struggle with i guess from my history i'm not necessarily struggling with it now except to feel a little guilty in a way for just picking and choosing the things from buddhism that work for me or that attract me or that I want to digest or that I want to learn about without jumping in and becoming a Buddhist like that. Cause mm -hmm. that's like, <laughs> how, 
That's just because of our my history. It's like that's how we did things. If you're going to be a Christian, well, then you got to do it this way. And, it, and so, if you can't just pick and choose, I, I mean, we were taught, taught that over and over. You can't just pick and choose stuff that you like and throw the rest away. You can't. You got to take the whole deal. And so, when I think about Buddhism, I still have that kind of, you know, I don't want to be insulting, and I don't want to be have from my privilege of just like grabbing a piece here or there and then not swallowing the whole whatever even the whole is. So I I think what, from what you've said, and from what I've been learning, the generosity of just sharing whatever is true. And then the, you know, the invitation to, to learn what you can and take what you, what, what you, what helps you is really part of the ethos um, of Buddhism, at least in the West. So can you talk to that, talk about that a little bit? Buddhism is perfect for you, Phyllis, because you know, I don't I even consider myself a Buddhist. Like it's almost like antithetical to Buddhism, call yourself a Buddhist, right? Because it's, oh, it's demarcating okay. things, right? It's separating. And so it's really uh and and the Buddha taught, don't take these teachings because I gave them to you. Test them. Only we can only find our way to enlightenment ourselves we can't pray for it and we can pray for it but we don't get it without doing the work ourselves like and an enlightenment is even not like some glorious like like place it's just being present and shedding ignorance and ignorance is around this false separation that we walk around living in but it's not it's not the reality right it's it, interbeing is is the deeper reality. So um, there are plenty of, of folks who come to retreat who are as Jewish as the day they were born and also bring these practices into their lives, bring what works for them. Uh, Thich Nhat Hanh teaches and Buddhism teaches about non-attachment to form. We don't get caught in, it has to look this way. Um, Thich Nhat Hanh would change the words of familiar chants just so we didn't get too attached to the form. He, you know, so so it's, yes, it's it, like, I didn't have to leave Catholicism. And to, how, how do you leave your root religion? He actually, Thich Nhat Hanh would encourage us to return to our root religion. It wasn't about separating from something else. It was about healing old stuff and then finding you know, transformation of difficult things so that we ha can, out of our suffering, build compassion. Like, it, it, it's so freeing in that way. And that's what enlightenment is too, right? It's it's liberation. And which well, also is the, with, with our engaged Buddhism too. Okay. Well, so I mean, part of the confusion, I guess, that, that I, as an observer has, has been you know, there are temples, there, there are statues, mm -hmm. there are, you know, there are sounds and rituals and, and all kinds of stuff all across the world. And I would assume that just means that people do what they do with any kind of spiritual practice, which is they make it into a, into a thing. And yeah, so <laughs> it, becomes, it becomes embedded into the culture, right? And it's hard to separate out all sorts of different things. And I, and just as much as, when I go to a Catholic mass and I'm trying to um, tease out the threads that fit for me, yeah, yeah, um, 
with without some of the baggage of of some of the dogma that doesn't work for me like that same thing to me when i go to you know and and the vietnamese practice is is in in some in some part of buddhism is much more ritualistic not necessarily but much more focused on you know there there's more emphasis on offerings and devotion and statues and stuff but those again those statues to me represent different qualities and one of the ways our abbot talks about is like when we bow to the buddha we're bowing to the buddha in ourselves right and that can feel idolatrous as well right but the buddha is just a teacher no gods in 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 my experience in my understanding of buddhism um there is not there isn't a god that we're connected with although some people will use that language who practice so it's kind of like yeah just create big space for all of it and then it and then there's room there's room for it and it doesn't have to be like oh i have to push this away or that away because when we're pushing it away it's it's as much as grasping and both of those things are not not healthy yeah ah so much Goodness. I mean, just that wide openness and it's hard, it's hard. Cause you know, I mean, even though our stories are different and some practices in Catholicism and certainly in evangelicalism, which is a strain that we came from, you know, just squeezes everything so narrow. And so it's so hard to open that up. And then I'm always careful of kind of appropriating things, you know, and, you know, we live near Boulder and there's some things associated with Boulder in that direction and just these stereotypes and just being careful. But what Mm -hmm. I hear you saying that I think is really important for me, I can just speak for myself, is just knowing that um, the teachings in Buddhism and in, in the teaching specifically in this conversation for me is that I, there's a lot that I need to learn about Thich Nhat Hanh's teachings. I've dabbled here and there. And it was really special. Well, one little special thing I want to say is that Jared, my son who died, he was a seeker. Mm-hmm. And so he was a seeker and he was like out, peace out on Christianity and fundamentalism and all that kind of stuff. But he was like doing these like walkabouts. This is years ago, few years, like he was in high school. And um, one is, is that he really immersed himself in the teachings of Thich Nhat Hanh. And there's multiple books that he was reading and um, learning about and was like, mom, check this out. And this was like this mindfulness practice. And these things that are really deep about holding it all. And this is so hard for us. I mean, we talk about it in paradox, but gosh, we need practices that help us do it because it's just too much mm-hmm. without some help. And that's kind of what I'm getting from it. Like what helps us become more centered and that it's not a bad thing to grab goodness that transcends mm-hmm. and helps us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why, why would we limit that i mean i do i I, uh take seriously your your piece about appropriation and uh especially i think about indigenous teachings and and practices that have been uh you know denied folks indigenous folks and then and then appropriated by by white folks and made money off of like all of that feels horrible so 
I, I do think it's wise to uh, to take take in what we're taking in with really deep respect and to know that it's offered in this most generous way to relieve us of our suffering and to help us create more room for other people to be relieved of suffering. So if we're, we're, if we're taking the teachings in, in that way and living, embodying them in that way, that's what will transform our ourselves, our families, our communities. Yeah, is that what you mean by in some ways engaged Buddhism or is there like any, we're kind of, you're just getting ready to wrap up here, but did, was, are there specific things related to that or is it a building of what you've shared already? It, I think it's a building of what I, what we've shared so far. Um, there is like, you know, in, in terms of environmentalism and anti-racism there the all of this stuff is around interbeing is around saying that we are not separate and that we need to come together and that still is in honoring like especially in anti-racism work that we might need to do some of that work separately for a while because white folks have to do different work than folks of color in terms of healing what the the harm that's been done through supremacy and racism um and and yet, yeah, I mean, in, engaged Buddhism to me, others may define it differently or highlight other aspects, but it is again about this transformation of ourselves so that we can be in the world and create work together that that begins, you know, like this kind of discussion that then can can ripple out and um truly truly call out the reality the realities of war the reality of suffering around the world and say we don't have to do this in a way that increases the harm but we can work through conflict in a way that transforms us into being more compassionate being um being bringing us together and that's hard it is really 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 hard work uh, you can hear it in the podcast from from uh, Plum Village, uh, that um, the way out, the way the way out is in, I think is the name of that podcast. And they they talk about the difficulties of living in community. It's not it's not easy, and so, um, but if when we can do it, we've all had those moments when we can transform, and how beautiful that that is, and how deep those relationships are. Love it. That's a lot. I have so much to digest. It's hard to, it's hard to make me speechless, Lisa. (laughs) It's true. I'm noticing this. I'm totally noticing this and I love it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, me too. Me too. Really appreciate all that you've said. And there's just so much more to learn Mm -hmm. and do and say, but I think we're running short, aren't we? Yeah, it's time for us to transition. I just want to say like, everybody, this is what's so hard about these, but that is really, this is just kind of just diving in and giving us some things to process. And so as we wrap up, just real quick, 
You know, is there for everyone listening, knowing that honestly, most people um, probably know a little bit about mindfulness are practicing that, you know, read some things, definitely drawn to these authors that you've mentioned. But so one little reminder for the soul and maybe one simple practice um, to leave us with and we'll um, we'll wrap up, wrap up. So I'll, 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 I'll put them together. Uh, I've heard recently how important it is that we begin our days by setting intention and that um, we can even do that. Like in our song at the beginning of a teaching, like what's our intention around hearing this teaching and bringing it into practice. So there's a beautiful mantra that, uh, or Gatha that Thich Nhat Hanh, uh has offered us as a way to start the day. So when we wake up in the morning, And before we get out of bed, we might say to ourselves, waking up this morning, I smile. 24 brand new hours before me. I vow to live this day in mindfulness and to look on all beings with the eyes of compassion. So a beautiful way, a beautiful intention with which to start our day. And then maybe also as we go to bed, reviewing the day, taking stock of of what's happened and dedicating any merit, any merit, any part of that intention we've lived with, dedicating that out to the benefit of all beings. Mm. Wow. I love it. That's nice. Yes. So beautiful. Do you have one, any last anything for the soul, Phyllis, as we wrap? Well, I think I just this morning, I've been struck by the whole idea of wide openness and realize how, um, how much the soul uh, lives and thrives in that kind of wide open openness. And um, as opposed to how we like to narrow it down. So I, uh, it's very soulful to, to, and courageous to remember that there's part of us that is really meant to be wide open. Love it. And I just say on the practice part, I mean, it's just maybe for those of us that um, wrestle with trying to find something that will solve the problem to just hold what Lisa shared. This path is hard. It's hard to do and to just like honor that. And that's part of that self-compassion and just knowing that it is hard to hold all this ah, together in one space. And so the practice is just to honor that. Mm. It's hard. Um, So Lisa started us with um, a a simple bell practice. We're going to close with it. This was before we started recording. It was so beautiful. And so um, as we end today, this will be, we'll stop the recording when when the, the third bell rings. But Lisa, if you would close our time with the way that we have the honor of opening it. And thank you both so much. This has been delightful to be able to share these teachings with you because it's, they are, they are the guiding path of my life. And, uh, and I think they have so much to offer everyone um, because of their, with their breadth and depth. So, yeah, so we, we ring this bell um, as a, as a way to, uh, when we hear the sound of the bell, or we have a red light that stops us in our driving. Um, they're all opportunities to come back to this present moment, to take a breath, um, to bring a smile to our lips, a smile that embraces the pain and the joy 
in life. 